if you have a Bible, and uh, I hope that you do, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the last book in the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, as we continue on in our, in our journey here. Uh, we have reached, uh, should, should, Lord willing, conclude with chapter 12 tonight, um, and we'll start, uh, Lord willing, into chapter 13 next week, but uh, chapter, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, <clears throat> and we will read the entire chapter together, um, so we'll read verses um, 1 through uh, 17 together as God's people will, will uh, read the entire chapter. Um, I would simply say that it is our habit here to uh, stand to honor God's word. And so if you're physically able to do so, um, I'm going to ask that uh, if you're physically able, would you please stand with me one more time as we simply honor God's word and we give it the reverence that it's due. In Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, may you and I hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and he did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that she should feed her that, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought at his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who de which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice sing in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And, and to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent, spew, the serpent cast out or spewed out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the woman was angry. Sorry, and the dragon was angry with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Father. As we look at satanic opposition to the work of the gospel, we pray that you would enable us and help us this evening, that we would look and to think clearly about. Um, your victory that you have you have already 
um, overcome and purchased through Christ. And we thank you for our hope and that it is in Christ. We have hope. And we thank you for the hope of the gospel that is given for the joy of the nations. May you help us now, we pray, that Christ may be clearly proclaimed and that you, through the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the word, Father, would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So I think that this is probably, um, goes without saying, that chapter 12 really does serve as the, um, as the, the pinnacle or the, the turning point within the book of Revelation um, with, with, the, with the idea here and maybe one of the most exciting chapters in all the Bible. It, it provides a summary of, of the Lord's work through, through God's people, through, through the Lord's people here uh, represented by the woman. Uh, and the dragon, the opposition of the dragon and his work uh, to oppose the gospel. Uh, by the way, just so we're clear, uh, <clears throat> John is using um, and John is seeing um, like uh, hyper, like like uh, vivid language here. Um, so I, I want, don't want you to think that at some point in the future there's going to be a giant red dragon that comes upon the earth and, and all of this. There are those who, who believe that, um, but I think that's, that's to be overly literal with the text. Instead, what John is, John is preparing for us is the idea, this idea that there is an accuser of the brethren and an enemy of God named Satan, the devil, who opposes the work of God and the work of God's people throughout the ages Throughout the ages, Satan loves to hate God's people and oppose God's people because they belong to God. And so we see God's work throughout the chapter here as represented again through the work of, of the woman who brings forth and births the man-child. Obviously Jesus, Satan opposing this, the, the devil opposing this. Um, Satan hating the work of the the Messiah, the man-child that was prophesied of, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Um, we see God, God at work, moving and working through the nation, uh, throughout the, the generations of mankind here. And we, we see that this is, this, is, this is ultimately played out for us on the stage of history, where we see, for instance, this great wonder, and, and, and notice here as we think about uh, the activity and the work of, of both the woman and the dragon and, and God's work um, in all of this, that it is said of the woman in heaven that there was a great wonder when it's appearing to, uh, when, it, when, when this woman appears, but that when this dragon appears, it only says that there was simply another wonder. And there is a difference here. God is, God is obviously and ultimately drawing our attention to the fact that, that yes, while Satan may be uh, very, very large um, to us and may seem bigger than, than life, in reality he is nothing in the, in the plan and in the, the economy of God. He is not a threat to God. He never has been a threat to God. He never will be a threat to Almighty God. And so we see God at work throughout the generations and throughout the nations, or throughout the work of the gospel and through, in the nations and through the nations. But we see particularly in verses 12 and following here of chapter 12, a work that's happening. We see, we see a particular uh, campaign, if you will, that is taking place, that is being waged by this mighty dragon. Uh, and this, this begins here, as I said, in verse 12. And I'm sure you took notice here 
that uh, as, the, as, the, as the saints and the angels in heaven are rejoicing over the fact that the dragon has been cast out, that he who accuses the brethren is no longer uh, found, there's no more place found for him in heaven, there's woe that is also cast upon the inhabitants of the earth. When he says that the devil is now come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And Satan knows this, and so because of this, in verse 13 it picks up here and it says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, as we said last, or over the last couple of weeks, who was the woman? Well, I, I personally believe um, that this woman is uh, the Israel of God. Um, she is she is God's elect people throughout the, the generations and the nations, God bringing the people of God together. He, they are the elect Israel of God uh, and, and obviously uh, made up of ethnic Israelites who come to embrace Christ by faith. Um, and so she is the one that is being persecuted by the devil. Satan acknowledges this. Satan recognizes this. He cannot, so to speak, get to God. So instead, what does he do? He begins to try to persecute God's people. He begins to try to persecute the Israel of God, the nation of Israel. And so he seeks to, to do this in a way that, that brings, uh, that brings um, uh, great consternation to God's people, that brings great harm to God's people. And so this is what he says he does. He persecutes God's people. He is all about persecution. He is all about, matter of fact, Jesus would say of Satan that he is a liar. Matter of fact, he's not just a liar, but he went on to say that he's a murderer from the beginning and that God's people are, uh, or, and that, that, that as a result, I mean, we can't be surprised when we see that he is seeking to destroy and to kill um, God's people. I, I have pastors that I regularly talk to throughout, uh, throughout the nations who share with me different things that the people that they, they, are, they are ministering to, missionaries that, they're minis- uh, the, the pa- missionaries that uh, they are ministering to pastors in different churches in different nations, and they, they share with me quite regularly how God's people are regularly persecuted throughout other nations. We as in America have been greatly blessed to this point but great, great numbers of our brothers and sisters are currently being persecuted for the name of Christ throughout the nations. And so this is a, this is a, but this, this particular idea here in Revelation chapter 12 is to a particular time and a particular type of persecution that's going to take place. Now, having said that, let me say this. I do believe in a literal tribulation period that is going to come upon the earth and that uh, the, the, the church is going to greatly suffer during that time, made up of, of all numbers and members of God's people throughout the nations. The dragon is going to make war against God's people. The dragon is going to seek to destroy the people of God during that time. And if it were not for, as it says in verse 14 here, God's protection and God's helping them in some way, some miraculous way, God's people would be completely destroyed. Why do I say that? Well, in verse 14, notice what it says here, and to the woman were given two wings of the mighty eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the, of the, from the, face of the serpent. 
Now, why is this significant for us? Well, this is significant because John, at this point, is employing Exodus language. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Exodus language? Well, what I mean by that is exactly what I said. John is quoting Exodus without telling us that he's quoting Exodus. He is quoting the book of Exodus. You say, well, what chapter and what verse? Well, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4. So let's go back and let's look. And I'll, sh- I'll show you how um, John is, in fact, quoting from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, listen to what the, listen to what God, speaking to the nation of Israel, says after the, the, uh, the Exodus event. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, it says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Listen to this. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. John is quoting Exodus 19.4 for a time of great persecution of God's people on the earth at this time. And he is telling them that just like in the time of the Exodus, God is going to protect all his, he's going to protect his people. He's going to guard his people. He is going to help his people. He's going to aid his people. As John says here, for time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now, what is this whole time and times and half a time and all this stuff? Well, um, John employs this throughout the book of Revelation to refer to the two witnesses, to refer here to the woman. And, and a few other times, John employs this language. And it literally, each and every time, it comes out to three and a half years. 1,260 days, which is going back to the book of Daniel. John is, again, pulling from and employing language from the book of Daniel and applying it to the Israel of God, applying it to the nation of Israel here at this point. And he is saying that just as God protected the people of God throughout Exodus, there is going to be special, however this works, special protection that he is going to give to his people. And it says that as a result of this, that in verse 15, the serpent is going to be angry about this and he is going to seek to, in some way, he is going to seek to destroy the woman by here in verse 15. He talks about a mighty uh, river or ocean or, or flood being cast out of his mouth so to overtake and to, care, to, 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 to devour the woman. Again, this is Exodus language that John is employing. This is the language of the Exodus that John is again appealing to and pulling from to help us understand and explain how God is going to protect his people and how God is at work at the, in, the, in, the, in the time of the end, in this particular time of the end, to work and to move to protect his people, to guard them, to protect them, to provide a way of escape for them because it does involve a plan and it involves a protection of God's people. It does involve a, a place. And the interesting thing here is again, John is, is this is full of Exodus type of language going into the wilderness. Again, wilderness uh, for, for God's people here in this instance was seen as a, as a protection. As, as Satan energizes the, the, the enemies of God to, to, to persecute God's people, to, to reject God's rules, we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, as this is occurring, God himself is protecting and watching over, over a, a, a particular portion of God's people here. And he is, he is protecting them specifically and in a special way. 
And so he says that he is he's going to provide for them just in the way that he provided for them in the Exodus. So he is going to provide for the Israel of God, for the nation of Israel at this point, and for, for in a special way, in a particularly special manner. He's going to protect them so that no matter what Satan tries to do to them, they are going to be protected. They are not going to face ultimate destruction, but that providentially the woman will be God will intervene on her behalf, and he will repeatedly grant her an escape. And this is true. This has been true. I mean, this isn't true just for this time that it's describing here in Revelation 12, but it's true throughout the, throughout the history of the church of Jesus Christ. God has, in special ways, always provided for and protected his people. No, it doesn't mean that we've escaped suffering. It doesn't mean that we've escaped persecution. It doesn't mean that we've escaped uh, always. But it does mean that, that God has always protected his people. He has always kept them. He has always provided for their escape. He has always watched over them in special ways, in ways that, that, that it, it, is, it is amazing to think about how God has guarded his word, how God has guarded his scriptures, how God has guarded his, his church, how he has loved the people of God, how he's shown them special protection, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God is at work showing forth his mighty power. And in this particular time, in this particular event, God again is showing off his power. He is providing a way of escape from the, from the army of, uh, and the energy of Satan and the work of Satan. As Satan seems to marshal his, his strength and his, his power against uh, this, this, this woman. And so much so that she is then given this, as I said, Exodus uh, language, this eagle's wings, so that she's able to escape. And this is true not only of Exodus 19, but if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, you'll see something very similar to that, to to what we've also described. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, listen to what, uh, listen to how the the word of the Lord describes uh, the nation of Israel here. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verse 11 and 12, it says, well, it would help if I turned the page, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 11 and 12 as an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. You see how, how John is employing Exodus and Deuteronomy language to describe God's previous protection of the nation of Israel and God's future protection of the Israel of God, of God's people as he protects them, as he watches over them, as he, as he leads them into, uh, into a way in which they will be guarded from the full venting of Satan's wrath. And it's interesting here that just like in, uh, in Exodus and uh, reminded of us in Deuteronomy that uh, God is going to lead the people of God into the, into the desert, into the wilderness, so to speak. And so God is going to specifically care for them. Do, do you notice the language here that's being used? And it says that, it, notice this, it talks about um, in verse 14 that she might fly into the wilderness. Again, signifying protection into her place right so in other words a place that was prepared for her a special place and she is nourished so provided for fed like Elijah like Elijah was um, was was fed by the brook 
and, and the ravens brought him his food, and he drank from the brook, and he was protected and provided for. Again, using this t- same type of language from the Old Testament, providing it and, and applying it specifically here. But it, and it, it involves, a, it does involve a, a special time and a special protection. And it, it involves a, a miracle. There, there is a miracle here, so, so don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this language. While, while there's a lot of, 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 of hyperbole and a lot of, of word pictures that John is using here, ultimately he is saying to us that, that God's people are precious and that, they will be, that Israel will be nourished and positively protected by the hand of God and, and, and that they will not be touched in any way, shape, or form. So we need to know that God is, God is still at work, even in the midst of tragedy and trial and persecution, even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of everything. While we may not know the solution to these issues, God is the one who has the solution. God is the one who knows the future. God is the one who is sovereign over the future. God is the one who is protecting his people, right, as, 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 as was read tonight for us. Right, that we would know the depths, uh, right, and we would know God's love, we would know the depths of His love, we would know everything that He has for us. And He does this in special ways. He does this in special times for us. He does this when there are issues and times that we are facing in life. He protects us and guides us and guards us in special ways, in ways that I don't think you and I will ever be able to fully comprehend until we reach the end of time. But what is going on? Well, Satan is so furious in this time that he gives full vent to his fury. And even the full vent of the fury of Satan, as represented by the floodwaters, they're not enough to destroy God's people. They're not enough to destroy Israel. They're not enough to destroy the nation of God. And its purpose is clearly stated, right? This protection is directly from God. It's an enormous miracle going on here, an enormous miracle that God has, God has done and will do, an enormous miracle that God continues to do throughout the ages and the, and the nations. And in the midst of all of this, picking up in verse 17, that the dragon, realizing he can't destroy, he can't destroy this, this woman, right? It says in verse 17, and the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, I think ultimately, the final and ultimate rampage here of Satan, and, and the thing we have to keep in mind when we're talking about Revelation, is that Revelation isn't, it's not linear, right? The, the book of Revelation isn't, isn't, it's just not from point A all the way to point Z with, with, no, with nothing in between. It is instead a, a cycle that it's a circle of which John is telling us from the beginning. Okay, so this is what's happening. And he goes through and he says, okay, this is what happened. Now, let's go back and let's fill in some more gaps that I, I forgot to mention or that I didn't mention before. And so this is, this is him constantly showing us, constantly revealing parts that he didn't previously emphasize. The reality here of, of Genesis chapter, or Genesis, Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20 are stark, are stark. The, if, you, if you look at Revelation 12 and you move forward to Revelation chapter 20, 
you will see many similarities. And this is, this is why, the reason why is because John is, is, is he's filling out a picture for us and then he's going back and he's putting, he's putting some more meat on those bones, so to speak, and then he's going back again and again and he keeps building this, this person, this body, this, this, this vision, this image for us. Because he wants us to understand that whatever else can be said about the time of the end, Whatever else can be said about Satan's rampaging and this this figure known as the Antichrist and his rampaging, whatever else can be said about it, the end result is that they are not, they cannot, and they will not ever be able to thwart the plan of God. In the end, so Revelation, if we were to lay out everything and say, well, you know, so this is what Revelation means. At the end of the day, do you know the number one message from the book of Revelation? Do you know what it is? Christ is king and God wins. That's it. That's it. That's that's the book of Revelation. I mean, we can can argue over over all the different types of of symbols, and we can argue about the timing, we can argue about what means what and and who means this, and what does this mean, and what does that mean. But at the end of the day, when everything's said, Revelation chapter 20 stands as the pinnacle of Revelation, where it simply says, Christ is king, God wins, exclamation point. That's it. And this is the message of Revelation 12. Christ is king and God wins. The dragon can't take this away. And Antichrist cannot take this away. The enemies of the nations can't take this away. Nothing and no one can take away the victory of God because the victory of God has been fully declared through the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. That's it. Period. The death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus has solidified the victory of God. And yes, so while I certainly believe in a, a literal end time, and yes, why I certainly believe in a, a literal tribulation, and yes, I, I believe God will be at work in all of this to glorify himself. The end of the, the, end of the day and at the end of the time of the end, the, the victory of God and that Jesus is king and God wins is the ultimate point of everything. It is the ultimate point of everything that we see, of everything we talk about, of everything that we think about. It must be, it must be the pinnacle of every thought that we have. So, so Christian, let, let me put it like this. While it's great to talk about the end times, it, and it is, it's, it's wonderful, and we should. We should encourage ourselves with, with the truth of, of that, that God is going to ultimately bring this all to an end, and we should do that. What if... What if we apply that to my living today? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean like this. What if I wake up in the morning and I lived with the mindset that Christ is king and God wins? Does that mean I won't face suffering? No, no. Does it mean I, I won't face troubles? No, no. Well, it doesn't mean that I might face persecution. Sure, it, it, it does. But, but, but think about the difference in mindsets here. Christ is king, God wins, versus allowing my emotions and feelings to drive what I think and believe about God and what I think and believe about God at work in this day and in this life doesn't mean that my life's going to be perfect. doesn't mean my life's going to be, going to be uh, all roses and sunshine and lollipops. 
But what if we lived with the victory of God as our foremost thought in our minds and in our hearts day by day? Surely there are real enemies, and surely there are real things that, that seek to attack our faith and to harm us and to seek to hurt us. There are real things. Yes, and I do believe there will be a real Antichrist that will arise and will seek to persecute the people of God and the church of God. But in the end, not even he, with all of his heinous wickedness, can in fact stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. All the events throughout Revelation, all the glorious events throughout Revelation, point us to the reality that God has said so. The question then is, will I trust him? Is God's promises enough for me that when life isn't perfect, when life isn't good, when life is hard, when life hurts, when I'm facing real persecution from family members and friends who think I'm an absolute lunatic for believing this stuff, is Christ and his victory enough? Living in light of this victory and living in light of the victory of God because it's true, yes, there, there, there may be, a, a, there will be a, an absolute time of the end. But we've been living, ultimately, in the time of the end since the resurrection. There's, we've been living, like the end times isn't just a specific point, like a seven-year tribulation. But it's instead been since the beginning, like we are living in the time of the end. We're just waiting for the ultimate culmination of this, for Christ to return and to show forth his victory and his power. So let me ask you this. Believer, are you trusting Christ? Are you looking to Christ? Are you allowing Satan, when, when, are you allowing him to steal your joy, and instead of focusing on Christ, are you focusing on the problems that you're facing and the issues that you're facing and the, and the, and the joyless day-to-day struggles that you're facing? Or are you looking to Christ who is able to restore your joy and to encourage you even in the midst of the most hurtful, hard times of your life? Does that mean that the times of your life are going to get better and that everything's just going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Anybody who tells you that, that God means for us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise is a false prophet. They're to be marked and they're to be avoided. That's a bunch of nonsense. However, we as God's people need to know that because Christ is victorious and Christ is glorious and Christ is good, we can look to Christ because he has already overcome the world and we look to his example and by the power of his spirit and by the, by the instruction of the word of God, we live for the glory of God. So Christian, are you looking to Christ? Tonight, let me ask you, unbeliever, are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to Christ? Because let's face it, Um, this isn't all fun. This is going to be real world scary. This is not going to be a great time to be alive. And yet God has called us to call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ in the here and now. Christ is at work. Christ has done the work for the, for the salvation of his people. And he calls sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. So let me ask you, have you believed in Christ personally? Have you called out to God in repentance and faith in Christ? If not, God tells you now is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. Do not tarry. Do not stop. Do not look around. Flee to Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me just end with this encouragement then for us. 
The gospel itself is ultimately a cry of victory. Jesus, when he said, it is finished, it was a cry of victory. And the gospel today is the cry of the victory of God and the peace terms upon which God now announces to the world, you can be reconciled to me and made right with me. Christian, let me encourage you to be faithful, to share the gospel wherever you are, wherever you go, and proclaim the victory of God throughout the nations, that Jesus is king and God wins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, God, while there are many things to, that, are, that are difficult to understand, while there are many things that are uh, symbolic and, and, and given to us um, in ways that are very confusing and hard to understand, God, we, we do thank you that you are sovereign, that there is no one who stays your hand. There's no one who says to you, what are you doing? God, you do whatever you want to do among the inhabitants of the earth and among, among heaven itself. God, you are, you are God, and there is none, none who can stop you. So may you have your way among us. May you use us to preach the gospel. May you save sinners through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. Help us now, Father, as we, as we sing and we respond. Help us to be faithful to honor Christ in all that we do and all that we say. Help us to see sinners come to faith in Christ. Help us to be encouraged to look to Christ as believers in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name.